People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM, and today we have joining us over the line from London, the world-famous best-selling author, Anthony Horowitz. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Anthony is the author of both children's and adult books across a wide range of genres, murder mysteries, spa thrillers, there's witchcraft and fantasy. He's also been officially commissioned by the estates of both Arthur Conan Doyle and Ian Fleming to continue, respectively, the adventures of Sherlock Holmes and James Bond. Uh, Anthony is also a screenwriter and a playwright. Welcome, and it's a great privilege for us on High FM to be in conversation with you, Anthony. I'm going to I'm going to start off with the first question everyone who I interview gets asked. Please introduce yourself in your own words and on your own terms. Yeah, well, my name is Anthony Horowitz. Uh, I am a writer uh, living in London. I've been writing for pretty much 40 years professionally, uh, 50 books, a lot of television, a lot of plays, at the moment doing murder mysteries, and uh, I'm very happy to be talking to you. 2018, we're also very happy, to be talk- we're very happy to be talking to you. 2018 has been a very busy year for you. In May, you had the release in America of The Word is Murder and the publication in the UK and the Commonwealth of Forever and a Day, your second James Bond book. And now, towards the end of the year, you're releasing The Sentence is Death in the UK and, and uh, in the Commonwealth countries. You make it sound as if I'm doing too much. I sometimes think that might be the case. I mean, you know, how many books can one person write? But it's, it's just a sort of a, it's like buses all over the same time. I mean, I, I, I wrote books over a period of two years, and they come out all turned up into a week. But it's absolutely bad. The James Bond novel, which was my second novel, uh, after the Mortis, uh, came out this year. And um, because America is a little bit behind, they published The Word is Murder, which is the first book in a, 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 what I hope will be 10 or 11 uh, detective novels, whodunits, murder mysteries. And the second of those, The Sentence of Death, was just published a few weeks ago uh, here in the UK. Yeah, you're very, very busy. I don't know where you find the time for all of this. It's, it's quite... Well, but, you know, the truth is, is that when you're on your own, which is, I mean, I'm married, I have children, I have family and friends, but when you're working on your own, as I do for probably about 10 hours a day in a room in London, it's amazing how much you can get done, especially if you're swept away by the story you're telling and you get completely immersed in the sort of the, the plot and the excitement and the twists and the turns and the clues and the suspects and all the rest of it. You know... It's a, it's, I, I can write a great deal in one day. Maybe I, I don't do word counts, but but, uh, but, but uh, you know I do cover a lot of pages. Um, but but uh, you know, as I say, sometimes I do think to myself it's time to slow down, and then another idea pops into my head, and I find myself you know on with the next one. We are the beneficiaries of all of this productivity because we get to read great books all the time. At least this year, two books that have come out during the course of the year. The word is murder and the sentence, the sentence is death. In these books, you dissolve the line between fact and fiction and reality and storytelling. How and why did you take this approach in these books? You're right. I mean, let me explain the setup here. We have a detective called Daniel Hawthorne, not the nicest of men. He's working as a freelance policeman or detective because he's been kicked out of Scotland Yard for reasons that aren't completely clear. And he, he's paid a freelance salary, which is not very much. And he gets the idea, the bright idea of hiring a writer 
to uh, become his Watson, his home, to, to narrate his adventures, and they'll split the profits of the book 50-50. And where things take a twist is, is that the writer that he employs to do this is me. So instead of just being the author of the book, I am the sidekick and the narrator. I'm inside the book, which means that unlike Doyle or Christie, I don't know anything. I don't know who committed the murder. I don't know what the clues are. You know, I'm desperately following the detective in the hope that he will solve the crime. And if Daniel Hawthorne does not solve the crime, I don't have a book. So this sort of turns everything on its head. And the reason why I decided to do it, to answer your question, is this. Is first, if I'm going to write a series of whodunits, and as I say, I hope there'll be maybe ten of these books, I love puzzles, and I love twists and turns and clues and all the rest of it. I love beguiling and surprising my readers. But I also want to do a little bit more than that. I want to write about the nature of writing, about what it's like to be a writer, about why we read murder stories. What is it about murder? If we see a murder in the street, we'll be horrified and sickened, and then we don't want to know. But if we read murder after murder in books or see them on television, we are interested, we're absorbed, we're fascinated. Now, I, I want to explore questions like this. And so, you know, even the titles, the word is murder, the sentence is death, tell you what I'm trying to do here, which is, you know, yes, there are mysteries, but they're also about the nature of writing and the nature of books. And finally, you know, it, for me, writing has always been an adventure. I want my books to, to, to be challenging and to do different things, to surprise people, to do things that have never been done before. And so with this series, I, I hope I have stumbled onto a way of doing, you know, the classic Agatha Christie-style murder mystery, but with a little twist, with a little smile, with something a bit original and different. You've achieved that when I read your acknowledgments at the end of the book. I'm not entirely sure if it's all actual thank yous or if there's a little bit of um, <laughs> fiction thrown in. I've had people write to me and say that they've Googled me and Googled the book to see what is true and what isn't true. But I will tell you that actually, everything I described about my life, like, for example, the sentence's death opens on the set of Foiled War, which is a TV show which I made for 16 years, and, and, and there we are filming in the middle of London, a very difficult scene. That all happened. I mean, it is pretty much how I described it. You know, but then a Hawthorne arrives, a detective in a modern taxi, destroying the shot and bringing the, the whole shooting schedule to, a, to a, a grinding halt. And that, of course, is the fantasy element entering it. But to me, that's part of the fun of it, which is to mix my life and, and the reality of being a writer. What's it like to spend, you know, 40 years in a room writing to, to bring some of that experience into the world of, of murder and mystery? I was always, always fascinated by the relationship between Watson and Holmes. What would it have been like to be a writer, Watson, following this very difficult detective uh, around London, you know, always 10 steps behind him and never quite sort of shoulder to shoulder with the truth? That's the position I put myself in. And it's, it really does come alive off the page, uh, which leads us to the next question that I want to ask you. When I read the sentence is death, and when my, when my wife read the first book in the series, the word is murder, we both had so much fun reading the book. My wife would stop and read passages to me, and I found myself wanting to do the same thing back when I read the sentence is death. If you creating such a sense of fun in us, in your reader, you must have had a huge amount of fun in writing these books. Well, you know, I'm so happy to hear you using the F word, fun, uh, because that to me is what it's all about. You know, I think that the, the pleasure of a murder mystery, particularly in a, in a world which is full of, you know, 24-hour news and fake news and, and all the uncertainty, and here in this country, you know, with Brexit, so much sort of worry and, and stress, and, and in America, the same sort of thing happening. I think there is a, something really... 
wonderful about a book that you can just escape into. You can draw the covers over your head. You can sit there in bed or wherever and enjoy it and, and, and just relish the puzzle and the surprises and, and forget everything else. Books that are really pure entertainment. And to answer your question, yeah, I had huge fun writing them. I mean, you know, I love... I've always loved magic and illusion and trickery and, and the idea of writing a book that, you know, baffles an audience. One or two people have guessed the endings of, of both books, but not many. And it doesn't matter whether you get it or you don't get it. As long as you're having fun on the journey and as long as when you get to the reveal, you feel, yeah, that was great, and you smile, then my job is done. Uh, yeah, I, I got to that smile at the end of uh, the sentence is death, the great reveal at the end. Who is well, the, I think the ending of a sentence is death. It's got a big smile, actually, because, of course, you know, the, I, I don't want to give too much away, but there is a sort of a real twist to the ending of that book, or rather a sort of a, 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 sort of a double twist. And, and, and coming up with that and coming up with the sort of surprises of the last couple of chapters, it was, it was quite a lot of work. I mean, it, it, I have a notebook in front of me here, which is absolutely covered in doodles and diagrams and questions and, and you know, crossings out and, and sort of my, my whole mental process over the three or four months that I took planning the book. Uh, but but I think that you know there is a, there is a big smile at the end, and that is, that is the sort of the aim of it. How closely plotted is your book before you start writing? Do you know where you're going, or do you let the process lead you? It depends on the book, largely. But for most of my books are very very tightly plotted. I, I tend to spend a lot of time, you know, for my other book, Magpie Murders. I spent almost fifteen years thinking about it before I started writing the book. Uh, for these books, for the Hawthorne novels, um, certainly, you know, three or four months are spent really honing down on I mean, You start with, you know, who is killed? Who is the victim? And what is the motive for the crime? That's where it all begins. If you like, that's the sort of the bullseye at the center of the dartboard. But then you have to build around that all the scores, the doubles, the troubles, all the different sort of, you know, the different areas of it, which are other characters, other motivations, other, you know, the red herrings, the sort of the backstories, and all that. And, it, and for me, to get, you know, what I'm aiming for are who done it to don't cheat the reader. It's all got to be there. You've got to be able to solve it. You know, even if the last chapter were not in the book, you should be able to solve it. And, and to, uh, that requires, I think, really careful layering and, and planting of clues and, and sewing it all together in a way that sort of, you know, to me, uh, almost like making a watch, actually, rather than sewing. It's like making a watch. It's, it's that sort of feeling that all the, the cogs are turning and everything sort of connects and, and, it, and it all sort of somehow at the end of the day works. So the planning to me, especially in Who It, is very important. We're in conversation with Anthony Horowitz, the author of so many books, kids, adults, the latest two books this year, Forever and a Day, with, uh, an, uh, which is his Anthony's second James Bond book. And then The Sentence is Death, which is Anthony's second uh, Daniel Hawthorne novel. We'll be back with more questions, answers and conversations straight after this ad break. Relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. Become a United States citizen. With American Dream, it's as simple as sign up and just step right on in. The American Dream EB5 Immigrant Investor Program gives you the right to live, work, study, or build a business anywhere in the United States and includes residency for your immediate family. American Dream is your easiest, simplest USA government endorsed path to a green card. Go to AmericanDream-EB5.com for more. American Dream, Visa Residency by Investment. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. 
This is People of the Book on 101.9 Chai FM. We're in conversation with UK best, international best-selling author Dan, Anthony Horowitz. We're discussing the Daniel Hawthorne novels as well as the James Bond novels that Anthony's written. Anthony, the next question is, who is Daniel Hawthorne and what is he like? Part of the fun of the series for me is, is that as I write them, I find out more and more about him. At the very beginning, all I know is that he's a rather difficult, annoying, uh, male, middle-aged detective, married with a son, though divorced, separated from his wife, uh, who has been fired from Scotland Yard for something involving a criminal who fell down a flight of stairs uh, when Hawthorne was standing behind him. So, so he's a man with a checkered past. He has some attitudes which are very disturbing to me. As a writer, I find him sometimes quite offensive. But as I get to know him, I get sort of to like him. Because first of all, he's very smart. He has got the ability, a sort of a Sherlock Holmes-style ability, to sort of unwind crimes and to, to know things that he can't possibly know. And in the course of the books, I sort of investigate him. I begin to work out what happened to him in his past that made him into such a difficult character now. That's, for me, the, the, the overall arc and the reason to write these books. It's, it's almost as if I'm a, a detective myself in the story, finding out more about this character. We know that he was brought up in Yorkshire, that something bad happened to him there, something in his childhood. We don't yet know what it is. But as the books continue, I shall find out more and more. Uh, yeah, that also was another element in the book, when he goes, they go to Yorkshire and... This past comes back into Daniel's life. But as you said, you're leaving that as a a sequence to follow through the whole series of books. It's something to look forward to. I'm sure each book can be read by itself. But if you read the entire series, you get this layering that that, that follows you from book to book. I want to read. That's absolutely right. You know, the books can be read in the order. They can be read on their own. But they will, when they're finished, tell a single story over the whole 9, 10, 11, however many I write. I, I want to read a quote from page 232 of The Sentence is Death because you write a lot about how you write. You said you want to put us as the reader into your creative process, and you do it very well over here. Um, and then your thoughts afterwards. I was thrown by what Hawthorne had said because he was absolutely right. At the very start of the process, when I'm creating a story, I do think of it as having a particular geometrical shape. For example, I was about to start work on Moriarty, my Sherlock Holmes sequel, and it had occurred to me that the twisting narrative, which would turn in on itself at the end, was rather like a Mobius strip. The House of Silk had the appearance of a letter Y. A novel is a container of 80,000 to 90,000 words, and you might see it as a jelly mold. You pour them all in and hope they'll set. But it had never occurred to me that a detective might see his world in the same way. It's a wonderful paragraph, and I, I bent the page at the bottom end because it, it resonated so much with me as a reviewer and a reader of books. Your thoughts on putting that paragraph into the book? I did, it's very nice of you to quote it to me. I do remember writing it very well, and that's exactly what I was talking about. This sort of desire, not just a writer who's done it, but to write about the nature of writing and how you write it who's done it. And that is, I mean, you know, you asked me earlier as well, am I telling the truth? That is 100% true. I cannot write anything until I 
see the shape of it. Funnily enough, I was at a meeting yesterday. Someone was asking me to adapt a series of books, and I found myself saying to him, you know, the shape of this, it's a paper chain hanging from the ceiling. And I tried to explain how the stories would be complete but would interlink and form a line. And so as soon as I see the shape, it's a beginning of, of you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a big thing to do. Some of my books are 100, 200,000 words long. And so, so as I say, to pour those words into the mold, it does help if you have this idea of the shape of the mold. Uh, and and so that's where I begin. I Actually, when I, the first thing I do when I'm writing a book is to draw a shape on a page, and then I start to fill it in with the different chapters and the, and the arrows and the lines that link them together so that I get a sense of the, of the sort of the movement of the book, the feel of it, the, um, the, 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 the whole nature, the physical nature of it. Uh, and, and to me, that's where the whole process begins. So I say, it's, you, know, you, you might start with a murder, somebody kills somebody for a reason, but that's only, as I say, the, the very core of it. Where it's going to go from there, you need a shape. Uh, yeah, I've never, as a reader, I've never thought of that before, but it was a, it was a revelation. That paragraph was a revelation. Another well, as- I'm so glad you quoted it. Thank you very much for doing so. An- another aspect of the book that I enjoyed a lot, the, the details about the publishing world, a little, bit about, a little bit of gossip and inside information about how you got a three-book three deal with Orion for the Sherlock Holmes books and then a three-book deal with Penguin Random House for the Daniel Hawthorne books. And the other thing that also about the whole book industry is that you so generously share your limelight with the agents behind the store, behind the books. This whole aspect of, um, the, of the book was just wonderful for me. I, I, I know I'm a book person and I, I know the different publishers, uh, but it was yeah. wonderful to see it coming off the page. And also, as I mentioned, your generosity in sharing the limelight with the agents, I think they're most probably overlooked <laughs> in the publishing well, industry. What I think is nice is, you know, is that I, you know, there are so many wonderful literary festivals around the world now. Three, three of this one, for example, which I was at and would love to come back to. Um, but, um, you know, there's Hang On Why, there's Edinburgh, there's Colchester, Chichester, Ed, uh, Oxford, Cambridge, etc., etc. People travel because they are fascinated in the world of books. The, the people love stories and literature and fiction, but they are also, I think, interested in the sort of the agents, the publishers, the editing process, the, 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 the financial aspects of writing. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a huge and, and, and an important industry, and I think that it's, it's lovely if writers can share their experiences with the public either at these forums, as I, as I mentioned, festivals, and I can do it a bit in the books too, and I'm very happy to, to acknowledge that, you know, and I think it's something very important for writers to remember. A, a, a book is not a one-man band. It is not written just by one person. You know, there are so many people, from the, the cover designers to the typographers to the, to the distributors to the sales reps to the, to the independent bookshops. What is a street without an independent bookshop or any bookshop in, in it? You know, a bookshop is so much the heart, the soul of a city. But they're part of the process as well. And so I think sharing the credit where it's due is, 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 is you, you use the word generous, but I think it's just sensible because it's, it's the truth. Yeah, I, I just I, I really did enjoy all those all those parts of the story, and you bring one agent into the book as a quite a central uh, element within one of the subplots. So that was oh, it was it, it really really well, the, the, the agent ba- will reappear, and and I have further stories in mind which involve publishers and editors and and sort of that world. Moving to the James Bond book, Forever and a Day. Why did you choose to write a book? on the origin story of James Bond? 
Having gone through the Mortis, the first James Bond novel, which takes place inside the world of Bond, that is to say, between 1950 and the end 60s, you know, which is when Bond is at his most, uh, at his, uh, you know, when Bond lives. So the first book was set just after Goldfinger. And what I'm looking for here is where is there a gap in the Bond story where I can invent a story that will have him, you know, in action for a month or two? And it occurred to me that an obvious space occurs before Casino Royale, before he actually becomes 007. So at that moment, I thought, wow, here's a chance to not only tell an adventure, but also to give a little insider sort of a a glimpse of what made Bond Bond, what dehumanized him, what what was it that made him such a cold-blooded, methodical killer uh, for the British government. And that's what the story of, of Forever and, and a Day is really about. It's, about a, it's a love story. It's a relationship between him and a woman called Sixteen and what happens to them and what, you know, the book begins with a killing and the book finishes with a killing. But between those two killings, the entire world changes. And also in the book, you, you, you incorporate original material by Ian Fleming, which is, must be... Quite either, either it would constrain you, or you could most probably view it as a liberation. It's a springboard from which you can jump. How did into any direction you want to go? How did you experience use that? Sorry, I'm jumping in there. I looked at it as a springboard. You know, I think Ian Fleming is a terrific writer, a very, very great writer, and to take on his voice and his legacy was a huge responsibility and a challenge. And having and a, a little bit of original material. Um, Fleming had written some stories for a TV series that was never, in fact, made. One of those stories is called Murder on Wheels and appears in Trigger Mortis and concerns Grand Prix and, and, and racing, uh, a terrific story which made, made for a very interesting opening for that book. This one has a shorter story uh, called Russian Roulette, uh, set in a casino in the south of France. And as the whole book is set in the south of France, there was an obvious fit there, and I slipped it in. And it just makes me think that, that no matter what people think of the book and think of my writing, there's one part of it they can't argue with, and that's the bit that Fleming wrote. There's an actual, you know, a real original Fleming material here. So the book for that is nothing else. And, you know, for me, it was just a, a wonderful encouragement to know that Fleming was at least taking part of his journey with me and, and that there was part of the book that was his. And now with Forever and a Day, you've written two James Bond books and you've written two Sherlock Holmes books. You're the official writer continuing two great literary traditions. Do you anticipate more of these projects? You've written witchcraft and fantasy, so maybe J.R. Tolkien's estate or maybe even J.K. Rowling might look towards continuing either of those two franchises. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. No, I mean... I loved doing the continuation novels. You know, my two Flemings and in the House of Silk and Moriarty, my two Sherlock Holmes novels, because these are writers I hugely admire, Doyle and Fleming. You know, they've been massive influences to me in my writing. But I think now I've probably done enough continuation novels. I mean, there is some people who are saying that, that maybe I should do a third Bond novel. To be honest with you, the Ian Fleming estate has not yet asked me uh, officially to do that, so I can't say I will or I won't. Let, let's wait and see. Uh, you know, I need both the, the family and I need the publishers to say they want a third one. If they come to me, I'd certainly consider it because I love writing those books. I would quite like to do a third Sherlock Holmes book one day, but I don't think I will ever do any... I, I mean, I'm too old and wise to say never, but I don't think I would have any plans to do any other writer, to do any other continuation novel, Tolkien, 
rolling or anyone. Uh, and we enjoy your stories. We, we, we like your characters, you know, the Daniel Haythorns and uh, a lot of young readers I know love the Alex Rider books as well. Uh, well, that, there's a few more incredible books on the way. There's a series of short stories coming out next year, which I'm very excited about because I think they're, I think they're, they're really fun and, and, and exciting stories. That's going to be called Our Secret Weapon, the collection. And at the moment, I'm 30,000 words into another Alex Rider novel called Nightshade. Uh, and that could be out the year after. So Alex Ryder is still very much part of my life. And, of course, we're doing a TV series based on Alex Ryder, uh, starting with Point Blank, which is the second of the books. And that should be on the TV screen sort of sometime next year, I think. Sure. Okay. You're very, very busy. I don't know where you find time for all of this, but you do. You mentioned earlier that um, you view yourself in 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 the Daniel Hawth- uh, Hawthorne novels, you view yourself almost as Watson to Daniel Hawthorne's Sherlock Holmes. So you've layered the book almost as a homage to the, the Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, writings. And it's all murder mysteries as well. But would there be a way to somehow bring a James Bondish uh, angle into the Hawthorne books? A bit, a bit more... You know, less domestic <laughs> crime and a bit more international um, espionage. I don't think so. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, Alex Ryder draws heavily uh, as inspired by Fleming and by my love of Bond and hidden history, uh, which connect with Bond and his world. So I think to try and bring Bond into the world of Hawthorne would really do my head in and, and would, would be the beginning of the end of me. So then I think it does keep everything in its little compartments. Uh, Hawthorne does draw a little bit on Sherlock Holmes. Certainly, uh, readers will notice in the, um, the sentence's death that there are many, many references to Holmes, including a, a book group, which I visit, which is discussing um, a study in Scarlet. Um, and Hawthorne at one stage even quotes Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes has a major part in the story, in fact. But, you know, each book to its own. I think that to try and sort of cross genres and sort of get bonded into Hawthorne or... or, or Agatha Christie into Alex Ryder would just give me a, a, a meltdown. So, so I think, I think um, thanks, but no thanks. That would, be the, that would be the jelly that didn't sit in the mold. Exactly. A good way of putting it. Uh, last question. You write a fortune, but you also have to read. Um, a few years ago, someone in publishing in South Africa who had met you when you were on an, an earlier author tour mentioned to me, that Anthony Horowitz told me I have to read We Need to Talk About Kevin. So I duly listened to Terry at Macmillan, and I went and I bought a copy of, uh, of, of We Need to Talk About Kevin. And I read it, and it's one of the most powerful books that I have read in the last 30 years. What do you read? And we need a bit more inspiration for some of our best reads for the next 30 years. You want a recommendation now for me, another one? I mean, we need to talk about Kevin, Lionel Shriver's book is extraordinary. So it's a, a real standout book. Um, if you want some other little just recommendations of favorites of mine, I think uh, Kazuo Ishiguro, Never Let Me Go, is an incredibly powerful and memorable book, uh, which, which um, I recommend. Um, and there's another book which um, I, I, I like very much, um, The King Mutiny, which I'm adapting by Herman Woke. Um, which is a, a book of the Second World War, a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel. I'm adapting it for television at the moment. It's a fantastic book, which sort of sits in between children's books and adult books. It's sort of somewhere in between them. Uh, and so that's another book I, I often find myself recommending. Um, almost anything by Sarah Waters, a, a writer I hugely admire and like. 
Um, you know, where would I be without books? I'm sitting here talking to you surrounded by thousands of them. I'm even searching now amongst the shelves for other titles to recommend. But that's a few to be getting on with before I, I, I say goodbye to you. Now I would have dashed into London to go off to um, sign copies of, of Sentences Death. Thank you so much for your time, and thank thank you so much for your books across the generations. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and I do hope I get back to South Africa. And when I do, let's meet face to face, and I'd love to meet your wife too, and, and say hi. Thank you, thank you so much. My pleasure.